Hello and welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, the Cinelinks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However, you may have found your way here. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to author Rebecca Coffendaffer all about their new book, Thronebreakers, the second half of the Crown Chasers duology, which is described as perfect for fans of Aurora Rising, The Hunger Games, and Three Dark Crowns. This electrifying duology closer is jam-packed with tension and thrills that will hook readers from its first page. It's no secret I'm a big fan of this series and Rebecca's, and I'm glad to say that they close out this series with a bang. Thronebreakers provides a lot of resolution for our main characters, and using a clever mixed-media approach winds the clock back to give us the beginning-to-end closure we need. We talk about the difficulty of closing out a series, fan expectations, some Crown Chaser spoilers, lots of Thronebreakers stuff, and much, much more. While this is a spoiler-free discussion for Thronebreakers, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've read it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month, so we should all take the approach. If you see something, say something, whether it be online or out in the real world. While it may be hard, it really could mean the world of difference to somebody who was a victim of bullying. And this, of course, should be done all year long, not just because the calendar says so. Okay, Rebecca Coffendaffer grew up on Star Wars, Star Trek, fantastical movies, and even more fantastical books. They waited a long time for their secret elemental powers to develop. In the interim, they started writing stories about magic, politics, and spaceships, far-off worlds, and people walking away from explosions in slow motion. These days, they live in Kansas with their families, surrounded by a, a lot of books, a lot of tabletop games, and last but certainly not least, the beautiful Roxy. I've updated your bio, by the way. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they're here today to discuss their new book, Thronebreakers, the second half of the Crown Chasers duology, which is described as perfect for fans of Aurora Rising, The Hunger Games, and Three Dark Crowns. This electrifying duology closer is jam-packed with tension and thrills that will hook readers from its first page. You know who else is perfect for? Fans of Crown Chasers. Why don't they put Crown? Like, why don't know why? Anyways, I don't know why they say that. Anyways, please welcome to the show my good friend Rebecca Coffendaffer. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Thanks so much again for having me. I'm very excited to record today. Why don't they say that? I don't, I don't know. It's so- if you liked the first book, you might like right? the second oh, book. <laughs> I don't, that's yeah, whatever. I don't know. Did you? You didn't pick those comps, I assume. No. No. no um, I mean, they're not no, bad. I, com- they're not bad. Nothing wrong with those no, comps. Good. But, uh, no, I don't, I don't write the, the sort of the blurb copy. They, they send it to me and I say, yes, marketing people do your marketing thing. Good do your, job. Do your magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blurbs are weird and, uh, mm-hmm. um, and comps are even weirder. And I mean, we're going to, we're getting to the point now where we're getting old enough where, you know, like contemporary books will be start being comps and, but yeah, I'll never understood that. And in a series, like you should always, uh. I don't know, whatever. It's so weird, but it is, but you're right. You know what I mean? And especially like, you know, as we get into these like trilogies and stuff. Yeah. At some point you got to just start comping out. I don't know. So we're like, look, are you in, are you in for this, this series? I, I very much hope if you like the first book, you like the second, I guess that's not a guarantee, but you're a big, you'd think. think. Yeah. You're a huge reader like myself. Yeah. Have you ever, or how often have you gotten into a series like late? Hmm. and gone back and done the whole thing gosh 
I mine's pretty rare. I tend to not start series after they've started, generally speaking. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think I'm. I feel like I'm often late to most things, and I can also be really bad about finishing series, which is terrible to admit from an author standpoint. Right. Um, but I can be kind of bad about about completing it. But I, I feel like I'm usually a little late to the party. The only thing that I've stepped on, like the only series that I've been able to jump on, like as it was happening was I recently read the inheritance games, which is still like a year old by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And, uh, and then just got, you know, the Hawthorne legacy. So I feel like I'm like, yeah, that one I'm, I'm with, (laughs) but most of the time I feel like I'm always late to a series and which is fine because then I can just read them all together. Well, that's kind of the, right. That's the thing with me too, because I'm like a closure freak. And uh, so in that sense, I tend to, do you like reading? What do you like better series or standalones? (sighs) I mean, yeah, like I can be assuming they're both done well. (laughs) Right. I can be bad about finishing series, but I, I am a like, I'm a big picture story person. Like I like a big series. I like a story that all uh, fits together and has like a big arc and you can kind of see all the pieces pull together. So I think I'm drawn towards series uh, for the most part, but a really well done standalone though, at the same time, really kind of nice. Like among the beasts and briars last year's among the beasts and briars by ash poston is a standalone and it was adorable and and wonderful and magical and and that was kind of nice there's very much a nice thing about just being all like and that's the story it's done i i like am a fucking basket case waiting for the next book in the series right yeah that that year between books whatever it is (laughs) drives me if I'm if I'm in, assuming I'm into the series, right? And I'm yeah. invested and I'm going to see it through. Like I have a hard time with that. Um, yeah. But I'm not one of these people though that can wait for all two or three books to come out so I get to read them all at once. Because I, I just, right? So I can't do that either, it's right? Weird. Because I'm always like, even just in the business of book blogging, I'm always looking ahead, right? I'm constantly, like I'm reading, I'm done with 21 now. I'm into 20, well into 22 now, right? So yeah. Um, it's because I'm always looking ahead and I'm trying to stay on top of things to have to go back and read books that have come out one, two, three years ago, or even let's say, let's say longer if I'm indulging in something really cool. I just don't have, I don't, I would have to like, that means I'm bumping something else Mm -hmm. that that I have to maybe get to and, or whatever. Right. So it's kind of a weird thing. Um, But closures, I have a hard time with it. And it's like, even, I mean, we all remember, you know, the years in between Star Wars films or Lord of the Rings films or Hunger Games or whatever, you know, series you happen to be into, Twilight, whatever. That's, it feels like forever. Like when you can't wait, when you can't wait, and this is with books too, like, um, you know, in between your books, in between, yeah. like, I am like, you know, Rebecca's, the, speaking of Rebecca's, there's so many good Rebecca's out there. Roan mm-hmm. Horse, yeah. Fevered Star, like I am fucking so, like I'm just like, <laughs> it's been everything in me, not like, it's you're like peeling out of your skin. Like I just want it. <laughs> right. Because when you're in, like, you know, you're, when you're invested, yeah. you're invested and you can't wait to find out what happens. And, but again, because of, I recognize my insanity, <laughs> um, my quirks and my isms, I can't wait. I cannot not 
read the first book and wait for the whole series to come out and then read the whole thing. So I know, yeah. what's going on. like, I can't, I don't have that in me. I also don't know. <laughs> so I'm screwed basically. Yeah, you are. You are pretty screwed. <laughs> oh, Christ. I, I have no soft mattress for you to land on there. No, that sucks. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I mean, you fill the time with reading other books as guess is the answer, but, mm-hmm. or movies or TV, whatever you're into, but uh, yeah, I, that's why I've never been good with like, um long even long tv series i love yeah. i love anthologies uh and i love these this new thing now where and i love uh like binging shows i love that yeah. that they drop the whole season i love how shows are just longer now or shorter seasons are shorter now right yeah. like you know uh, especially with star wars and stuff they'll just do like six episodes or eight episodes yeah. or like castlevania is like a, i'm a really huge fan of the animated series um well, and, and even like, and like Star the first Trek season was four episodes. Yeah, <laughs> Castlevania. I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's kind of nice yeah. to sort of have this more contained story. You know, I, I was just, it's, it's weird to think about because obviously, like when we were younger, you know, you invested in a TV series, twenty plus episodes a season for six or seven seasons, and you're just like, we, we did that. We did that with a week in between every episode and like summer hiatus. And you're just like, man, I was committed to many shows that I just kept picking up. I, and now these days it's like, here are like six, eight episode seasons. And I'm like, good, cool. Awesome. It's a weird thing too, in the sense that, especially the way they do it, especially if you binge it, because then you binge it in a day Mm -hmm. or two days over, we'll just say just so people don't think I'm completely nuts <laughs> because I do in a day, but <laughs> I would do it, uh, let's say a weekend. Um, and then you got to wait yeah, two, a year, two years <laughs> yeah, for, for the next season. Like it's. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, we have like um, little, no shortage of, of wonderful things and themes to talk about today um, with your books. And uh, I'm so excited. You know, I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to have read uh, Throne Breakers early. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so that helped <laughs> with my <laughs> soothe, my wanting to know what happened. And, and uh, you know me well enough to know I don't, not prone to bullshit and i think you just nailed this ending so so well oh good um, <laughs> and endings are hard to, it's so hard and like they are there's some we've had and there's there's been some endings this year that i haven't been satisfied with and it's not and that's just me because i'm an idiot you know it's just really fucking hard and yeah th- this goes back to like the closure part and how people struggle with things ending because mm-hmm. they want those characters to only exist in their time and space So like people struggle with like the Sopranos ending the idea that the family just life goes on without, without us. It's like, they only exist if we're watching them and if we're not watching them then they can't exist. So what were you thinking? You know, because we can sort of like this is it's done. It's done now. Like I'm I'm holding it in my hand. You can't change it. it. Unless you want to come to my house and scribble some notes in the back or something or (laughs) no, um, you can't change it. Ending the series. Did it weigh heavily? It must have. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I mean, yes, because um, I had sort of started drafting it, but it was impossible. So I I had um, written most of it, 
and sent off like the first draft before Crown Chasers came out. Mm-hmm. And then I did, I had a big revision the November following Crown Chasers release. And, and the good and bad of that was by that time, I was aware that it had found readers who had really connected with it. And so there was obviously um, a certain amount of anxiety about doing right by those readers, especially because I've had uh, so many people who are, are um, who give so much to the, the book community, book bloggers uh, and podcasters like yourself, bookstagrammers who trumpeted the book and, and expanded its readership um, beyond sort of the initial push. And I, I, there is, there was a lot of like, oh God, I, I, I hope I'm doing right by this. I feel like I'm making the decisions that I want to make as a creator. I hope they can see what I'm trying to do. And I hope they connect with it in the same way because they were so responsive to the first book in a way that was very gratifying because anytime you, you put a book together, you hope, I hope people get what I was trying to do. And, and when they did, I was like, Oh God, I hope they get what I'm trying to do next. But so, you didn't let that affect the story though. No, not really. Um, I, no, I, was talk- because- I was just, so I just talked to um, Rosie Brown. Yeah. And uh, so that's cause uh, I don't know. Have we talked about this? I, I write for, we need diverse books now. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Not. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I've, done a couple of so anyway just hers comes out next month and uh yeah i'm very excited it's talk about again sticking the landing yes my good yes like it's nailed it nailed it yeah and and she does something very fucking cool at the end too which i loved and then she does something weird we'll talk about it off air but uh and i just congratulate her for it because she really does something that I think some people, I think some people are, it's going to rub some people the wrong way, but uh, she talked to, so we we're just kind of going back and, you know, it was, and I'll ask you the same question here in a second, basically, but like, you know, this is the duology that started your career and mm-hmm. looking, looking back now, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, she talked a lot about how the external voices back during wraiths really started to affect the story. Mm. and it's not until she sort of sat down with her editor and they looked at it. They're like, this isn't going to work. And then they realized it was because she was listening too much to other people's opinions. Gotcha. And she, and she rewrote the whole thing. Oh. And so, yeah, it just listened to you hear say that made me think of that. And so you didn't, doesn't sound like you had to do that, but you know, I mean, so, you're, the, you're the storyteller, yeah. right? I'm always a proponent of like, I, sh- you shouldn't be letting me tell you how to write your story. Right. Yeah. And I, and I agree with that for the most part. I think, I think there are some venues, like if you write fan fiction, right. And you put out yeah. a chapter a week or something like that. I think that there is a real um, benefit to the immediacy of that. And you can, you can see in real time what readers are connecting with and maybe that, you know, adjusts how you're writing that fanfic. That's what I remember enjoying about writing fanfic is you could see, what they connected to, what readers were connecting to. Um, but books are, are different for sure. And I, you know, like I can absolutely understand that struggle because you're sitting there and you can let those external voices sink in. I didn't, I, I kind of had some benefits there where the first draft was done, but also I had from the beginning of the first book, 
a very clear picture of what, of who Alyssa was at the end of the second book. So I knew like the very end, the epilogue of, of Thronebreakers, I wrote that before I wrote anything else of the second book. Um, and I knew what I wanted sort of the, the very last chapter to do and that epilogue to do. So I had a very clear picture of, of that. And my challenge as an author was what are the, what is the journey she has to go to get to that point? Um, and I feel like because of that, you know, I, I was able to, um, just sort of still focus on Alyssa and that story and that journey. And I think that kind of helped maybe with filtering out some of the, the external sort of, um, right. Because you knew, you knew the end point. So, right. And I'm somebody who has to know the end point in a story. Like I, I, I really do need to know, I need to know, where it starts and where it ends. And then I always just have to figure out the fucking middle, but whatever. Right. Well, and that, <laughs> no big and deal. No, just, yeah. I just have to still fill 400 pages. Yeah. No, right. No, no it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the end point you're fixed on it. You're, you're mm-hmm. unwavering from it. You love it. You're in love with the ending. So the, yeah, there's no way any outside voice could deter you from that. And then no one's really interested in giving you advice on the middle part. Right. <laughs> right? right. So, right. Cause that's the, you know, quote unquote, like that's the exposition, you know, right. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's the boring part. Right. It's everyone has an opinion on how it should end, but not how to get to the end. So, right. 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 Um, but in that sense, you know, I don't want to be accused of calling this book a destination story. Mm-hmm. without ignoring the journey, what do you see it as? Because, you know, having just, you know, learned that, that you had the ending, which I sort of knew already a little bit from our previous mm-hmm. talks, but God, it still feels like a journey book to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that this, I think that both of these books are really just about, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's constantly been, about, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on, but the real core of both of these books to me is, Alyssa growing up, you know, and going from reckless and careless and, you know, you know, sort of fun first to having a stronger core of responsibility, even though still being a little reckless and careless. So still Mm -hmm. her, but a little bit more grown up version of her and, and how that affects everything from her relationships with um, her, you know, her fellow crown chasers to her relationship with Hell Monkey, like how, how all of that grows her from the beginning when she, you know, wakes up hungover after having, you know, circumnavigated a, a wild and crazy planet. So to me, that is that is more the story of crown chasers and throne breakers than, than anything else. The politics and stuff are just kind of how she gets there. <laughs> right. Which are, which, you know, is done very well. Um, and in this book, I mean, there's a couple of uh, scenes in this book. Your, your writing is really fucking good. And it's really on display in a couple of scenes in this book in particular, like the, like the schmarmy, uh, dinner dinner thing they have at the on the king ship right the big <laughs> yeah that is paced and written so well Rebecca um, oh thank you it's wonderful that it's it's really great we'll talk a little bit about it because there's there's a bit of technology I want to talk about in that in that scene especially mm-hmm. that allows Alyssa to to 
infiltrate. But um, yeah, so you have to, you know, they have to wrap up. Obviously, this is the last book. Mm-hmm. As much as we hate to say that, are you sad? Are you or are you done? Are you good? You know, no, I'm a little sad. You know, I. Um, it, this has been sort of a boy. Book two really did have some book two syndrome, where it was it was very rocky and and you know, sort of the struggle of, of getting this book into a shape, but I feel really proud of it now. And yeah, of course I'm, I'm a little bit sad because, you know, I, I turned in the, the past pages, a sort of final look at it before it went to go to print. And I definitely was kind of a little wistful because Alyssa was so fun to write. And, you know, some of these characters, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface on like could write a million stories of just all of them flying around the galaxy and squabbling um, like Faye and Honor and Setter and just getting into absolute shenanigans. It was it was a ton of fun. So, yeah, absolutely. I am done with the sort of main thrust of this sort of like. Uh, you know, empire politics and kind of stuff. Um, but with the cast of characters, it was definitely sad to, to sort of proverbially proverbially there, there we go. Close the book on them for the moment. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's definitely, you've, you did a, uh, a nice job of, of doing, you know, both macro and micro things. So of course there's micro, we zoom right in on, on, key characters you know learn so much about them their lives their loves their hates they're all these wonderful things and then you you know you pull way back and give us a broader look at at, at the galaxy as a whole and the the you know the political mass machinations and all these crazy big things that are going on and so you're con- I, I feel like you're co- you're constantly you know we're zooming in we're zooming out we're zooming in we're zooming out mm-hmm. but but not to the point where like i'm dizzy or anything it's it you know, it's all to me just has a nice sort of like you just have a really nice r- rhythm to it um but yeah no you but you've having said that you've created this big space and there's all these threads and doors that you could have pulled on or doors that, you know, to open and close and stuff, but you just, you, rent, you, you don't have time. And, and this right. is a, this is Alyssa's story. This isn't as much as we love Faye and, and, uh, <laughs> and honor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's a series, right? So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and even the, you know, the Drin, um, the whole, like there's just, yeah, you, yeah. You, you've, you've created a world, you've world, you've world built. So, I mean, of course there's, going to be all these wonderful little things um but uh yeah you just you just ran out of time and maybe in a longer series yeah you might have some time to sort of flesh a few things out but again you can't this this is this you can't drift too far away from from the star um yeah but yeah no because i have talked to authors who are like yeah i'm done with this series i'm good i'm ready to move on i'm not feeling sad about it i'm happy where it is and and a lot of times you're already in the throes of something new already that, that, that you're currently, you're more in love with, right. Because right. you're, you're into something new. So, um, so I've heard both. Yeah. Mix. Some people are like, no, I'm good. And some people are like, yeah, I'm going to miss these writing these wackos, you know? Right. <laughs> so Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, I am definitely the, uh, the world, the world. I, um, yeah, the world I'm, I'm sort of wistful to, to sort of step away from, because like you said, there is, there's so much that I, that I w- would love to like 
creatively delve into deeper, but you know, there's just, there, there's not time in that book. And, um, if anybody is interested in, in doing it themselves through fan fiction, you would absolutely blow my mind. So there just putting go. that out there into it's the out universe. There. Out there. <laughs> um, even just a whole book on, uh, Nova. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> like from, from Nova's point of view would be fantastic. Right. I mean, just <laughs> even, just even there's been some great, uh, what was that one short, that star Wars short, it did it from the, in one of the, you know, one of the, uh, from a certain point of views, was it, yeah, uh, one of those anthologies. To, um, Brittany did it, I think was from the point of view of, uh, of what's her name? Uh, the sh- the Falcon AI. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to say I cannot remember it for the life. Of I know. So, I'm yeah. gonna hand in my Star Wars card. Um, no, it's okay. You I know think. who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, uh, I do. I know. Exactly. Phoebe Waller Bridge is the voice. Yeah, the one who did the voice. For- <laughs> That's why I can remember the actress, but not the. Uh, I want to say L three L. No, I mean, okay. No, no, that doesn't. Anyways. Yeah, so I love because you know I'm a big huge fan of AI and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I am too. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be cool. But um, this is the story. This is this duology has launched your career. Mm-hmm. Um, it's finished now. It got, it's the one that got started. Looking back, what have you learned about yourself about the publishing industry? Give me a couple of goods, a couple of bads. So I think the the biggest thing that I I learned about this was. Um, sort of where really where, uh, I have strengths of, as a writer and where I have fun as a writer and it's, and it's helping inform me in, as I play around with new projects and new story ideas, because the thing about this book was it was very voice heavy. There was so much room for dialogue and banter and jokes and sort of like a humor aspect that before this book, I don't think I ever really introduced to my writing. I was always writing like, I'm going to write serious. This is my serious stuff and these serious books. And, and like, they were probably a little bit more description heavy, even though I knew I loved writing dialogue, but they, they probably tended more description heavy, um, more sort of serious and stoic. And there wasn't a lot of, of sort of the, the humor and the banter that was in these And I found myself trying to do it again with this next book. And like, it's going to be serious business about serious stuff. And I'm like, but I had fun with Crown Chasers and Throne Breakers because there was sort of still a humor about it, even when, especially in Throne Breakers, very dark things were happening. That's what I, I love that in stories. I love that in these stories. And why is that not my default? So I think that more than anything, that's what this duology has taught me as a writer. And I feel like um, that will help me as I continue on, even if I have to relearn this lesson every single time I start crafting a new book. Um, I, I can't thank this duology enough for that because I, it helped me find sort of a new voice that made it possible for me to get to here. So that, I think that was the, that was probably the biggest thing from a publishing standpoint. I, so between the, obviously Crown Chasers was my debut book and last year for many reasons was stressful, but even just beyond that, the debut book 
you know, you feel like it's, it's your first puppy or your first baby. And you're just like, I am going to do all the things and I'm going to get very stressed out and, and try to do absolutely everything. And you get sort of spread thin and what you, you have to almost go through that to get to the, to the point where I am with throne breakers, which is that I'm doing the, the stuff to talk about this book that, that makes me happy that makes, you know, that doesn't stress me out, uh, like this podcast, for example. And then I'm not going to worry about it because crown chasers found readers and it like the book will find its readers and those readers who connect with it are absolutely irreplaceable and they'll find throne breakers too. So is there anything you learned about the publishing industry where you thought maybe this isn't for me? Hmm. Um, I mean, you've, you've got lots of author friends. I mean, I I have no doubt you were sort of well-prepared for any obstacles that came your way. And that's one of the great things I've talked so much, a lot of authors about lately is, you know, I'm, 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 I, I'm in love with things like pitch wars and DV pit and mentor and all these, you know, things that are set up to, to bring mentees and mentors together and, you know, newbies and, and vets together and, there's, there's this thing, like, again, another thing sort of Rosie was saying, and we talked about, you know, has anything changed with marginalized people in the last two years? And she would say, from the publishing side of things, on, in a trickle-down way, no. Mm-hmm. It, on the grassroots ground level, yes. And that's yeah. because of things like Pitch Wars and DV, you know, all these great things. This community that you and everyone else is in helping each other out is so great. I have to think that that's without that there might be some, there'd be a lot more victims. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that that's unquestionable because the community is um, at the grassroots level is finding ways to push back against some of the, it's some almost, of the things. It's almost two different worlds, isn't it? It really is. It really <laughs> like, is. It really yeah, is. Yeah. And to a certain degree, it's like, it can be a little challenging because, um, you know, I was, I was listening to the deadline city podcast recently and, and Danielle and Zoraida, Danielle Clayton, um, author of the bells and, uh, Zoraida Cordova, author of the inheritance of Arcadia Divina. Both my bosses that we to, need. Oh my gosh. I love them both so much. Uh, they were talking to Sierra Simone, who is a, an indie published romance author. Yeah. And, uh, she, she pointed something out. She was like, she's like most of the book community is like not on social media. Like we think there is a, there's a microcosm of active book community members who are pushing for these changes. And and one of the reasons why, like Rosie said, that sort of trickle down publishing changes are so slow is because, you know, the group that is pushing for these changes is vocal and active and passionate, um, but, you know, we have a big uphill climb to push, you know, we have to like, they're up there and they're going like, well, we still sell copies of, you know, this, this harmful or, right. you know, these harmful right. books over here. So, you know, we're just going to keep doing it because that's what makes us money. So you have to, you know, you're pushing against a system that has been in place for so long is so entrenched and, there is a level of status quo of it's never been a problem. So it's not a problem. And the fact that there are, is some progress being made that people will be like, this book is harmful. And there is actually sometimes action 
is a good sign. It's just, you know, it's a very slow process. Yeah. There's decades of, of, of things in place that, that, that have to be, you know, pushed against, pushed back against, like that's a huge tidal wave to have to push against. It's a huge mountain to climb and only together can everyone get to the top. Yeah. Because if there's any break in that chain and that hands across America, uh, not everyone's going to make it to the top and, or at all, or at all. And it's a massive hill to climb. Um, And I'm, I even just think about, you know, like today I read this article, uh, you know, where of course this is banned books week and Mm -hmm. like, there's this far right group that's trying to ban a bunch of books. And one of them is just on fucking seahorses. It's a, it's a kid's picture book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it because the male seahorses? Yes, yes, yep. yeah. Male seahorses like carry the babies, and they just said, and the way they describe it as it just it depicts vivid images and of sexual encounters and stuff like this, and and it's like no, uh-huh. their, their tails just curl and they touch their bellies and they change color. Beautiful, it's you know what I mean. It couldn't be more right. beautiful. <laughs> like it's just a, it's so it's like you, it's, it's like you have. The, it's, <laughs> Sorry, I'm good. Sorry, I just need a minute. That's so absurd. It's we're mad about seahorses. It's fucking. It's beyond absurd. It's absurd (laughs) to the point where it's like you don't even want to believe it. But because we live in the United States and America, rather than Canada, North America, we no. It's like we live inside an Onion article all the time, right? Like that. It's like (laughs) it's God. I'm. I'm. It's just shock and dismay. It just left me a long time ago. Yeah. I, because that just doesn't surprise me. But yeah, just to even say that, to read that article was fucking absurd. And like, and of course, and it's, a, there's a long list of things. And of course, and of course, Ben, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what is on these banned booklets, book lists. The majority are LGBTQ plus books, um, BIPOC books, right? Like, right. Yeah. And, and like, it's, it is, un- anyway, it's so insane. And so you have all that pushing against you. And then you said, like you said, the crushing weight of a hundred years of, of an industry that has largely ignored um, marginalized authors. Mm-hmm. And this is what you end up with. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, again, we were talking, talking recently too, like we've seen some sort of like hints at improvement, you know, the blackout women were all on Good Morning America. Kwame and the and the fellows were on a couple of weeks later. Ayanna Gray was just on Good Morning America. But I'm just so cynical. It's like, okay, who's that in service of? And is this going to seed like everything else does? Yeah. You know, talking to some authors last year, June, they had record sales. But then that just, it's the, the wave, right? The, you know, the graph up, down, mm-hmm. and then down, 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 down. So, mm-hmm. It's sticking with it is the big is the big part, right? So, I don't know. It's it's a big hill to climb, that's for sure. And uh... I yeah, I think on, on an individual level, the what the community can continue to do is is um, what so many of them are doing, which is creating those networks of support, um, you know, and and continuing to just and keep pushing back. Um, I mean, the answer, like the, the answer, and this is an answer for a lot of problems that's happening in North America right now is we are long overdue and in dire need of a revolution. <laughs> and it's right. It's true. And I don't yeah. mean like, I don't, and I don't mean armed conflict. <laughs> Just, right. You know, but whatever. no. Yeah. And that's what we need. And 
it's it's I know it's not practical and it's not realistic because authors get paid so little to begin with. But I mean, really, what we need is just everyone to say, you know what, fuck it, independent publishing, independent publishing it is. And you watch how quickly all the big houses fall in line. But I we can't do that. I understand people can't take risks like that. And, and even though they're underpaid, they still need it to get paid. Right. And yeah, because so, I think that there are challenges with. Yeah, there's challenges with the independent publishing, too, because there is I mean, there is a strength in independent publishing where a lot of marginalized authors have been able to um, put their books out and find audiences for books that they were told by traditional gatekeepers had no audience. Um, So I think that the independent publishing and self-publishing is is amazing. You also, though, have some challenges in terms of who has the financial capital to get started yep. Um, yep. and who has the time to manage it. And it doesn't always have to be like a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time, but it does take a little extra time and a little extra money. So like there's a challenge there too, about who has that, those resources to make it happen. So oh, yeah. Oh, there's, 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 there's a very good reason why Marvel and DC are 85% of the shelf space in a comic book store. Right. Right. There's the, yeah. And, and, and we just, and every, and then like, I mean, how many publishing houses got bought up just this year, absorbed into a bigger house, you know, yeah. like there, it's just the, it's, what you're right. It, the, you're the right. It's three it's, and a half now, the big yeah. five, the big six, the big five, the big three and a half or whatever. That's <laughs> Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's only getting worse. And from that point, from that sense, um, but you, I mean, you're, and you're absolutely right. And I, and I'm not, I didn't mean to, it seems to make it sound that it was, it would be, oh, an, no, it, you're it, fine. it would be an easy endeavor. Um, it's, it would be, uh, very difficult for a lot of reasons, but it's kind of, it's yeah, almost it's, like, it's, it's just, it's, I just feel like that about a lot of things right now yeah. in, in North America in particular, like we just need to blow it up and start <laughs> and start and start over, you know, but, and I, and it, it's not easy, I, I, but that's just, it's sort of what I just feel like it's, you can't fix something that's this broken. That's kind of what I feel about a lot of things, whether Look, it's, I, I feel well, like that was kind of the theme of Thronebreaker. So I'm right. Yeah. Oh, speak, yeah. <laughs> literally, let's talk about, let's literally, talk about Thronebreakers, but, literally boiling but yeah, just to, to put a pin, but whether, but put a pin in it, whether it's healthcare or whatever, I just feel like the best answer is just to fucking vote electoral systems for sure. Blow it up things get so gross that you yeah. just, you can't put a bandaid on it after a yeah. while. You just have to amputate. Yeah. You just have to amputate. You know what I mean? So anyways, good times. Life's great. Everything's great. <laughs> Everything's fine. Uh, it's a dark turn. <laughs> give me a, um, we'll read the summary cause it is wonderfully short mm-hmm. and, uh, I'll read it. I want to ask you to read it because you know, what okay. it's about. you know what it's about. I was going to say, I didn't grab my copy. So. You know what it's about, but Let's do though. Uh, so that's throne breakers though. Give me an apology to the people out there. Well, there's going to be a couple of, there'll be a little, maybe one or two sm- spoilers about crown chasers just because I mean, it's been out for a year. If you haven't read it, by yeah. now, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> um, give me a sort of like last week on crown chasers. Like where did we leave the group? Right. Last week on crown chasers. <laughs> um, Alyssa Farshot 
after getting wrapped up into the crown chase uh, out of sort of a sense of duty to her uncle, her, her uncle, the emperor passes away and calls for a crown chase to determine the next ruler. And out of a sense of obligation to him, she joins, but she decides she's going to help her best friend, Natalia Koyan to win because she does not want the throne and they have to sort of crisscross uh, around the galaxy, solving these riddles and um, just when they they find the royal seal that'll that'll help Natalia win the throne, um, another crown chaser named Edgar Voles uh, steals aboard the ship and in a struggle for the royal seal kills Natalia Koyan in front of Alyssa and um, she is left. He gets away and she is left hungry for revenge. And that's where she starts. Um, that's where she starts out Thronebreakers. And don't think I've forgiven you for that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of people that I get. <laughs> they're like, how dare you? I'm like, how, well, sorry. <laughs> um, it was, uh, that was a painful scene. And so was uh, her uncle's death. Very, I cry, I cried. Yeah. We talked about that before, but I've cried um, during that scene. All right. This week on Crown mm-hmm. Chasers, Thronebreakers, Alyssa Farshot never wanted to rule the Empire. What? That's No, that's not true. But to honor her uncle's dying wish, she participated in the Crown Chase, a race across the Empire's 1,001 planets to find the royal seal and win the throne. Alyssa tried to help her friend Koi win the Crown Chase, but just as victory was within her grasp, Edgar Vols killed Koi, like you just said, and claimed the seal for himself. Brokenhearted over her friend's death, Alyssa is hell-bent on revenge. But Edgar is well protected in the kingship. Alyssa will have to rally rivals, rally rivals. I don't like that. Friends and mm-hmm. foes from across the empire to take him down and change the course of the galaxy. So we start out this book. I mean, this is such a cool, I love, we talked about the pain of waiting for the book, but when you finally get it in your hands and it just, you, we have this sort of like in res media, right? You, you pick mm-hmm. up almost instant, right where we left off and you do something, which I fucking love when people do. And I, can't believe I'm just keep bringing up Rosie again, but she did the same thing in her book. Mm-hmm. You actually start the book with a, taking us back in time. Yeah. And you start with a bit of a flashback and I fucking love it when books do that. I love it, love it, love it, love it. This is so insanely good. I, I, are we allowed, <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. Did I mean, just... it's the, pro- it's the prologue. I think that you yeah. can talk about it. It's so, fine. So we go back 17 years Mm-hmm. And we see the moment when Edgar Voles meets NL7, his trusty uh, droid, his, mm-hmm. his, his only friend, his only fucking anything, right? The most yeah. important thing to Edgar in this entire yes. galaxy is NL7, whether he admits it or not. And we go back to the meeting when a very young Edgar meets NL7, his mom gifts, gifts Edgar NL7. And there's a line, it says, quote, NL7, I'd like you to meet my son, Edgar, the woman says. Edgar, this is NL7. It's going to take care of you, end quote. Mm-hmm. I fucking cried. I was, cry- <laughs> so listen, I'm, it's the prologue and I'm already crying. Yeah. Like I got emotional because I love sentiment. I'm a huge yeah. fan of, because I don't have any myself in real life. So <laughs> I, same thing with like courage. Courage is my yeah. favorite. Courage is actually my favorite word. Um, and I love acts of courage again, because I have none. So same. I was crying like right away. I love that sentiment. I love that meeting. Oh, good. When did that come in? When did you decide to start the book with that? Um, 
So that was, that was in sort of the second round of revisions. I knew I wanted to sort of like the same book, sort of have a prologue and an ep. Um, the prologue well, in, the, in the in book one was great too. Yeah. Yeah. The pro I wanted to have another prologue in, in, in this book. And I, I think I initially started it with like, um, oh, I think I started it with Kindler Wythe. And it was sort of a look at at him and and like his reaction to what happened at, like at the end of the first book and and Edgar Vole's, you know, declaring victory. And it was fine, but um it just wasn't very strong. And my editor uh, was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this. And um, so I decided to cut it. And instead, because we've had all of these um, perspectives from Edgar in the first book, and that continues in the second book, I thought, let's, let's highlight this relationship because it's, it's sort of key to Edgar's arc in this story is his relationship with NL7, um, especially all the way to the end of his arc. So I wanted to sort of give a little snapshot of where it started. Um, and I love, <laughs> I love droids. <laughs> yeah. I super love like robot and droid characters. And I especially like uh, robot and droid characters that um, sort of form an attachment, which he he's, he's not quite like, becoming human but i do love those kinds of characters so i kind of wanted to say well, okay well this is where nl7 and edgar first started so you understand where they end mm -hmm. it's yeah it's important very important uh like you just said the rest of the way um as you know as things happen and develop and get crazier and crazier uh, it's it's a, re a really interesting way for you to start this book with edgar and NL7, and yeah, it does sort of, you know, I won't say it tips things off, um, but yeah. I think, but I think it definitely sets the tone of the book mm -hmm. in that there's we all like morally gray, like there's there's yeah. good, bad, whatever. These are fucking kids, you know. What yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's just you know, let's just relax for a second and understand that adults are shitty, bad people. Kids or not. Um. <laughs> I think that, and that's that's interesting that you say that because one of the there's just little bits and pieces of stuff that you watch or read or whatever that sort of tend to influence you throughout. But one of the things I remember is actually from Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. It's the it's in the season three when they go to Ember Island and uh they and Katara finds this picture of this baby in Zuko's old family house and she's like look it's Zuko when he's a baby and Zuko goes no that's my father and it affects Aang so much to see you know Fire Lord Ozai was once a baby yeah and like yeah. what that meant and it informs the rest of Aang's decisions throughout that third season and I love that moment for the perspective it brings to like, where do these people start? They all start as like little babies and like how, how that informs how people, what people grow into. That's right. And I mean, when you, when you start to, you know, begin to understand where people came from, why they're the way they are, it really makes it hard to a kill them or want mm -hmm. them or want them to be killed. Right. <laughs> and, and, not to say you you have to like be okay with any bad actions they may you know take part in. That's this this, this isn't about you know. I'm not going to say this is necessarily a, a redemptive story or or a, certainly not a for, it's not about forgiving anyone for the things they've done. 
but it's about just understanding yeah. the things of why they've done the things they've done or why they've turned out the way they've turned out perhaps. And I think when you get to a position of understanding um, that just leads to like, again, not redemption necessarily, yeah. not, not, not necessarily, but just, it leaves you in a, be- in a good place. I think where you're like, okay, all right. You yeah. know, I, I get it. I get it now. And yeah. the world's fucking complicated and the galaxy is even more complicated because it's got a thousand worlds that are all a thousand and one worlds. They're all complicated. So yes, it's, you know, it, I think it really just speaks to that. I really appreciate that very much. I love the beginning. Um, another thing too, which I love very much is your epigraphs. Um, you start a lot <laughs> of chapters with a star date and, mm-hmm. and under the reign of the Empress who never was Nathalia Matilda Cohen, long may she rest in glory. I, mm-hmm. That you know, <laughs> it's like you're trying to like make me upset. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> just with, you, Steve. I'm just I, I'm uh, nailing you. I, the uh, like the book is just getting started. And I'm already upset, and uh, it's I just I don't know. Again, sentiment. This idea, and this, of course, this isn't. Uh, this is this is really Alyssa. I mean, this is her mm-hmm. speaking to us. This is her saying that essentially. Right. Um. Talk about where Alyssa's is at right now, because she is pretty fucking pissed off at Edgar yeah. and everything is, and the world in turn. Right. Like yeah. no, nobody's safe from her. No, um, not even hell monkeys. She's really in a bad spot. She is. Yeah. I mean, look, she went through a lot. <laughs> she went through a lot in crown chasers and then she lost, you know, she lost her uncle. She lost her best friend. She saw another old friend, like, get murdered. So, um, when I started this, when I started, you know, sort of figuring out this book, the clearest thing besides the end was knowing that, um, you know, okay, she's, she's going to start this book and all of this bad stuff has been happening to her. How does that affect her? And for me, the answer was it takes everything about Alyssa and sort of pushes it to a level where it's like, oh, that's not good anymore. So her impulsiveness, her recklessness, um, you know, that are sort of part of her charm can cross this line into a place where it's like, this is, this is maybe a little too dark and she's in a dark spot. And what it makes her do is just be even more sort of throw herself over the edge and, that is where I wanted to start her out. And then the process of this book was how does she come back from that edge? How do we get to a point where she can, um, and also she, she's also even more of like, it's, it's me, I'm going to go against the world and I'm going to throw myself off the edge. And, And she's very singularly focused on herself as an individual and what she is going to accomplish. And it was, finding ways to unravel her from that point and help her remember, like, there's a bigger picture. How does she fit in into this um, network of people? And, and what does that mean? And so that was sort of the challenge is I know where she wants to end. I know she begins even more of a sort of a firebrand than usual. Um, how do I pull her back from that break and how does she get there? Right. And like I said, because this is sort of like an immediate res situation, like this, this isn't like time has passed and, and, you know, she's come to terms with, 
Yeah, no, you know, it's like with Corey's death. Or, yeah, yeah, it's like right after. So she's stewing. Like she's yeah. she's hell bent on revenge. Um, and she's very much, she's not thinking clearly, of course. She's just, you know, it's just pulsating. And she's mm-hmm. she's a little out of control. Um yeah. and she's always a little out of control, but I guess she's maybe even a little way more, way more yeah. out of control. Um, isn't, you know, won't listen to reason necessarily, you know, even though, you know, Hell Monkey's on board with revenge sort of in a way, in his own way. But, you know, yeah. he doesn't just want to rush into it. He, wa- he wants a plan. Hell Monkey wants right. a plan. She has a plan, but it's really quick and shitty. Part, so, yeah. part, so part of it is they basically her plan is to sneak aboard the kingship to kill Edgar. Like there's no, yeah. that's, that's her plan. That's the whole plan. <laughs> that's right. She's given no thought to, you know, the nuance of having no. to do all that. I mean, there's a couple of things, but um, you know, and I don't think I need to tell people that this is a this is near the beginning of the book. Things maybe mm-hmm. don't go as planned, and then right. es- essentially Throne Breakers begins. Right? Um, right, that's kind of the the gist of this book. And and once she's had a chance to step back from it, uh, from that really bad decision, right? Uh, Which um, I wanted it to be a bad decision that it, there were consequences for. There are consequences, um, mm-hmm. but it does you know, force her to deal with a lot of truths and facts about the situation, about herself, you know, and that allows her to step back from the situation for just long enough to see the bigger picture and then start to listen to reason. She's still angry. Of course, she's always going right. to be. And then, and then the angle doesn't really ever change, but she at least starts listening to people in her circle. Yes. Um, one of the things she does really cool though, anyways, part of this plan, and I won't get about who she meets, who she runs into and all that stuff, but Anyway, she has to sneak aboard this big, huge ship. Everyone knows who she is. She's she's been she's basically been labeled a traitor at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole galaxy knows what she looks like. So she has to sneak aboard. She's she's got a little outfit, a little disguise, and she uses these things called glamour keys, which basically mm-hmm. just just changes how you look. Uh, yeah. where'd you get that idea from? <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> ah, right on. Sweet. No, I was that's like, cool. yeah. I want a disguise self spell, but I yeah. want it in space. <laughs> <laughs> So I got that idea for, I was like, if you could cast, if like, this is what I would do if I were, cause I play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, this is how I would infiltrate if I were playing Dungeons and Dragons, but it's space. So how do I translate that to this world? And what does it look like? So yeah, I came up with glamour keys, which are basically, I imagine them to be about the size of um, like those little like shiny computer chips yeah um and something and they you can press them to the base of your throat because it also has to alter your voice and you press them to the base of your throat or wherever your vocal cords are if you're a different species and uh it changes your appearance Mm -hmm. and your voice so that you can disguise yourself and they're very very expensive she has to spend lots and lots of money for them but she gets them she does and uh, I won't say which family she chooses to disguise herself as, but it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And she runs into a bunch of people and it's, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful scene. It's very well written. It's very well paced. Uh, it's emotional sometimes. And sometimes it's jarring. Sometimes it's sort of like, you know, you get your pulse rate up and this all leads to this big sort of really big sort of action sequence in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and uh, really well done, really cool. And you you sort of bring about this whole idea that it reminds me of sort of like a middle grade horror book in a sense that mm-hmm. in a sense that well we can't count on the adults anymore right um there's just there's too much at stake we don't understand politics 
let's we got to just and i mean they're adults at this point mm-hmm. too they're not kids either but you know what i mean the, the we'll just say like the sort of the senior leadership of the families of the houses you know of have, have, have they're they're useless they're gone yeah. they're done they're done for they're done in sort different sorts of ways but they're just out of the picture it's yeah. up to the it's up to these the, the children of these houses of the of the main people the main heads of family of heads of state to take care of this on their own it, it sort of reminded me of like not lord of the flies but it, yeah. Just, just this idea, like I said, it's sort of like a, like in middle. You see that a lot in middle grade, right? Like where the, the 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 adults have checked out. It's up to us kids to solve the case, solve the crime, yeah. or whatever. Um, was this was that sort of the idea? Sort of this like the youth, this youthful expression. Um, you know, were you saying anything with that? Like, let's let's. Or am I just reading too much? Into it? No, you're not. Um, yeah. So this is sort of a, a double. The, one of the one of the reasons is practical, and one of them is maybe a little bit more um outwardly informed basically you have these these uh crown chase kids these prime family kids and and they're like many of them still have parents that are strong in political power and from a practical standpoint if the answer was Alyssa goes hey guys he killed natalia and stole the seal go get him and then they did that's a very short book (laughs) um um so practically speaking there is that On the other hand, I was writing this book in 2020, and the one thing that was striking me was how many political people in my country in power would um, make decisions uh, and support positions that they had no reason to support, that, um, uh, that they had maybe previously actively um, stood out against just to stay in a position where they had close access to power. And so initially, (laughs) I think initially when I floated this idea, my editors were like, well, is this believable? And I'm like, Lindsey Graham, very believable. (laughs) Um, like, Like we're watching, I'm watching this happen where prominent people in Congress are, uh, placating somebody who um, is uh, extremely dangerous because they want to stay in power and they want to have access to power. So it, it did not seem too far-fetched to me to have these prime family leaders look at this situation and go, well, this is just the how the rules of the game are played, and there's no evidence that he did anything wrong. So we're just going to continue with where we are because if we rock the boat, what happens to us? It's a really, I really enjoyed that part of it. That sort of this transition to this transition of power, and even Edgar is a child amongst, you know, adults. Yeah but he is the emperor when this book right. starts out. And yeah. so, and what you, you know, you establish that there are, you know, nefarious people behind the scenes doing things, you know, positioning themselves, you know, regardless of Edgar be damned, the emperor be yeah. damned. He's a kid. We're actually in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a puppet. We're, we're going to do the shit we need to do. And that ends up being sort of not, you know, kind of the plot of the book of what's happening behind the scenes. And, you know, it's we were not really sure who the villains are for yeah. a long for a long time um, because Edgar does some bad shit. 
So, yeah. so it's like, is Edgar bad? Well, we're not sure. And one of the, one of the cool things I love too, that you did about it is a lot of people that were play such a huge role in the first book, but are basically absent, like their shadow hangs over a lot of what's happening, but we don't really get to hear much about them, but we do mm-hmm. in this book, especially when it comes to Atar. And mm-hmm. so you do this really cool thing in the book where you periodically come in, it's called from the personal files of Atar Verlin uh, Varashti. And mm-hmm. uh, Alyssa is listening to these, you know, as the story goes on. Mm-hmm. And, and in turn, we are listening to these, we're reading them and we're learning just really what she's made of. Yeah. Meaning where she comes from, what's instilled in her, what's in her DNA, like what, you know, she's made up of, we're all made up of stardust and we're, you know, nature, nurture environment. And we're learning now the stuff that she's made from. And it's pretty incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. And it almost, it, it really, it's this really cool thing because we have moments of Alyssa acting crazy and mm-hmm. like, and I mean, I just mean reckless. I, I don't mean yeah. crazy. I mean, reckless. Yeah. Um, and irresponsible. And even she's not, she's not always kind in this book. No, she's not because she's hurting. Right. It's, we yeah. get, we get, there's we, we understand why, but then you interlude with these moments of these transcripts where we know what she's, what, she you know her lineage mm-hmm. what was talk about putting those in this book and where like where the idea came from at one point did you come up with the idea to do that because a lot of this book is like we do a lot of reminisce this book is almost more reminiscing than <laughs> than, than real time isn't it yeah. yeah um so again just from a practical structural standpoint you know in the first book there were flashbacks of Alyssa's past primarily with the other crown chasers right that sort of fleshed out her story with them and in this one i was looking for another angle on these sort of interstitial moments it didn't make sense to do more flashbacks from Alyssa's past um and i played with some around with some different ideas i i wanted to focus on atar's um, on ATAR's files, because it seemed like a way to give, <laughs> there's much about this situation that's really informed by um, what happened in this war before she was born. So like her mother uh, d- sort of died as a result in it. There was a war because her mother was, so I kind of wanted to explain some of that background because it fleshed out sort of the the lines of tension between the prime families. And also I felt like it explained Alyssa by understanding what Atar went through and, and sort of how she came to be his child, how he and Charlie came to raise her and why they maybe raised her the way that they did. Like what about their pasts informs her present? Mm. Because I, with two kids myself, that is something, you know, that I often think about. How does my past inform how I am raising my children in ways that they maybe can't, can't and won't unpack, but that, you know, that are definitely there. And I just wanted sort of an opportunity to sort of explore some of that past because I felt like it made an impact on the present in the book. It adds so much emotional weight to this story that was already to be emotionally heavy 
So yeah. it, it just, is, a, is a lot heavier. Robot. It is a lot heavier. It's everything is, is ear heavier. Yeah. Emo- <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. Uh, um, it, like the action is, you know, there's a big, 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 you know, action scene closer to the end. Um, mm-hmm. There's, you know, the cast gets a little bigger. You've got some great new characters in this book. We haven't even talked about Urva. It's, it's <laughs> fan- <laughs> fantastic. Um, you've got, uh, like I said, more emotion, more, more history, more this, more everything. It's really great. You've got a fucking AI fight. I mean, like, oh my gosh, it's that was so, so much fun. I'll bet. Like, it's so great. You, you just, it's, it's so like, you know, it's like, it's, I read this book and I'm like, okay, she, uh, Rebecca understands we need to, this thing needs to go out big. Mm-hmm. And they understand that we don't get another kick at the can here. So yeah, it's, and not to say that you uh, like, it's not too much. It's, just, it's not, Oh, you went too big or it's never anything like that. It's very controlled. I felt like, but this whole thing just, just, it ends really, really well. And I really, really think people are going to be very satisfied with it. Um, Good. We haven't even like we haven't we've talked about so little. I've done a great <laughs> we've done a great job of, of, of managing to avoid spoilers. There's so much going on in this story. Um, like we've avoided an entirely whole other this big 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 part of the book completely. So that's really glad we did that because <laughs> normally I ruin things for people. So that's great. Um, it's really wonderful, Rebecca, and I'm so Thank happy. You. I'm so happy. Um, you've got a really cool launch event with E.K. Johnston, of course. I am very excited about that. Um, most people should should know EK by now around these parts. If you don't look her up, um, what else? Yeah. You got, what else you got going on? Let me see. Uh, so the Friday, on. so the Friday before that, so October eighth, so a week from today, I am oh, doing an look, event with yes. uh, Main Street Book St. Charles with Amparo Ortiz, June CL Tan, and Nina Moreno. Um, I think Nina's book got pushed back a week because of the supply chain issues. But originally we were all October 12th releases and obviously she's still got a book coming out in October. Um, So we decided to sort of pair up um, uh, Amparo and I debuted together. So, uh, and we sort of collected some more people and we were like, yeah, let's all get together and just talk about books. We all kind of come from different perspectives and our books are very different, but I'm really excited to talk with all of them. And then the launch event is on Monday, October right. 11th. Um, that's all I'm looking at it now. It's all on your website. Mm-hmm. I, I actually just finished Dragon Blood Rig the other day. Um, so much. What a fun series. It is. <laughs> so it's, much fun. It is. Um, I've they can seen. replace Harry Potter world with the, like the Blaze Wrath world. I'll go visit that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll go visit that theme park. Um, I've never met, uh, dragon. I've never met Dampato, but, uh, uh, watched her so many times on panel just so just energy right she just seems so so oh my goodness she's Um, just one of the warmest people i've ever met she's excellent and i had june on the show a couple weeks ago Um, oh yeah i love to oh amazing 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 yeah fire gold comes out october 12th so great and we just it was such a funny conversation because there isn't a second book and i'm just no i know but that ending i know oh my gosh she knows too and it's just i want it i know it's uh she's great and that book is great and nina's great too um yeah that's a great lineup absolutely stellar lineup it's gonna be great so um october 12th 
the crown chase finally comes to an end. It does. Thrones are broken. Thrones hearts, are bro- hearts are broken. <laughs> Apparently, hearts are um, broken. I'm breaking Steve's heart. I'm breaking my heart, anyways. Uh, yes, my friend, thanks for coming on the show. And yeah, I'm a huge fan. And quick shout out to the uh, um, Diwali for the uh, covers. Oh my gosh, you um, did amazing. And not, um, Chris Kwan did the the design for both books. Right. And I really think Thronebreakers is even more gorgeous than Crown Chasers, which just the I didn't I, think this was This idea of how, like, the just the image. On the inside of Alyssa, yeah. there's chaos. Yeah. <laughs> on the it's outside, so good. On, on the outside, it's purple and calm and beautiful. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, they did an amazing job. I'm really, really excited. Yes. Like I said, all we need is a third book with her looking to the to her to the left. To her right. <laughs> our left, her right. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh beautiful covers. I love the way they look on my shelves. Very happy. So thank Yay. you so much, Rebecca. Have a great launch. And of course, thank we'll you. talk very soon. There you have it, another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Rebecca for taking the time to chat, as always. Like I said, saying goodbye is hard, but Rebecca manages to do it very, very well. Thronebreakers is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to RebeccaCoffinDuffer.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to Cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.